I know this is not the usual order of service, um, but you do what you have to do when you have to do it. Uh, So Genesis chapter number 14, our kids are going to go back as well. I am grateful uh, for this day that we get to celebrate here in America, freedom, amen. I'm grateful for the men and women uh, that have fought for this country, uh, many of them given their lives so that you and I can celebrate and worship and just have a, a good, you know, if it wasn't for the men and women that fought for our country, we would not be able to gather like this today. Uh, not only that, but it slowly uh, seems like they're trying to push it out, uh, our freedoms. So you uh, count yourself privileged to be here <clears throat> Um, but I'm even more grateful for the fact that my soul is well. Uh, and now we can have physical freedom, uh, and we do, but I am more excited about my spiritual freedom uh, than I am my physical uh, freedom. I can celebrate today uh, freedom from death, hell, and the grave because of what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross that he gave his life for, for you and me. So uh, this morning in Genesis chapter number 14, uh, we're going to continue our series on Father Abraham, a friend of God. But I read this interesting report, um, by the way of introduction, I, I read this report uh, from the CIA this week, um, Church Intelligence Agency. Uh, It recently had a news conference that said there was a wave of church terrorism uh, that's been rapidly affecting the body of Christ. Uh, It said they've uncovered many of the leaders behind this wave, but it said one leader was Ben Gossipin, one leader was Ben Critical, one leader was Ben Absent, and one leader was Ben Sour. Uh, There's fear, though, that these leaders have developed in many organizations, in many churches across the nation. And the CIA, Church Intelligence Agency, also fears that there is more brothers in this wicked family just waiting for the orders to invade. It said that they were notified by many other churches uh, with additional terrorists. Uh, One of the four... Uh, three of the four have been captured. One was Ben Sleeping, he's been captured, and Ben Loafing was captured. Ben Drinking has been taken into custody. Uh, and then one pastor advised that uh, it's very difficult to find anyone that fits the fourth description. It's been working. I said the most churches would be able to uh, identify Ben Working very easily, uh, although they've not seen it. I just wanted to have a little humor this morning, and uh, I know that's uh, not, not really what I'm preaching on this morning, but I thought it was funny when I run across the article, and I thought I'd share it with you, amen? This morning, my topic today, and what I want to preach on, as uh, God has led me, is I want us to look at no man left behind. And so, if you've got your Bible where we're going to look today at Genesis chapter number 14. Genesis chapter number 14, verse number 16 is where I'm going to pull my text from. You got your spot this morning? Just say amen. amen. All right. So the Bible says this. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. No man left behind. It's been often said that the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a battlefield. Uh, When we are born again, we become soldiers enlisted in God's army. This is mentioned in Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 3. He says, therefore, endure hardships. He teaches us as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man 
warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. And today, as we look at this, I want to ask and, uh, you to take a moment and look around. Do you see these empty seats? Now, I know some are on vacation. It is the 4th of July. I understand that. But these empty seats that are not even filled when people are not on vacation, they represent not lost people, but they represent soldiers that are no longer on the battlefield. They represent people that were once in the family of God, but for some reason or another, they have distanced themselves from God's family. Too many times we are guilty of looking at our inactive brethren and saying, well, they're just backslidden or they've turned from the Lord. And that may very well be true. But the issue I believe I want to address this morning is much deeper than just that. Understand that these men and women that I speak of today they were once fellow soldiers. They were once brothers and they were once sisters. I don't know about you, but it burdens my heart when I see a brother fall. It burdens my heart when I see a sister fall. It burdens my heart when I see someone that was once on fire for Jesus, somebody that once loved the brethren, or somebody that once would do anything in the world for the causes of Jesus Christ, but then one day, and somehow, some way, the enemy gets into their territory and begins to plant seeds of doubt in their mind, begins to plant seeds of strife in their heart, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, that one that was once on fire for God uh, begins to get colder and colder and colder until he completely moves away from the things of God. That burdens my heart. Someone said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. We cannot just look around this morning and describe people as inactive. We cannot just assume that they all are in the same backslidden condition. I want us to understand this morning that there is a reason they have come to this place in their life. Some are AWOL, absent without leave. That's being defined by the military as somebody that leaves with the intention of returning, but they don't have permission to do that. There are some who were once in the heat of battle, fighting the good fight of faith, but for some reason or another, they stepped away without permission. They laid down their armor, they laid down their sword, and they walked away from the things of God. Maybe they were captured. Maybe they've been held hostage by the enemy. Either way, they're no longer fighting the battle and they are in danger. Some are deserters. Some have just abandoned, abandoned their duty without permission. They've had the intentions of returning at one time, but they've been too far gone now. They are deserters. When Paul was instructing Timothy about fighting battles for the Lord, he encouraged him to cling to the faith that is in Jesus, to keep his conscience clear. And then he tells Timothy about two men who we talked about Wednesday that did not do that. They departed from the things of God. Some have deserted. You look around this morning, there's some that used to sit beside you. There's some that used to sit in front of you. There's some that used to sit behind you. For some reason, they have deserted. It ought to burden us that they've deserted. Some are MIA. They're missing, missing in action. 
This is a casualty classified for those who are reported missing during an active service. They may have been killed. They may have been wounded. They may have become a prisoner of war. They may have deserted. There are many of our brothers and sisters who could be described today as MIA. They, they're gone, and we, we, we really don't know what happened. We really don't know what's going on in their life. We really don't know why they're missing in action, but for some reason or another, they are. My question I asked this morning is, do we just write them off? Or should we go look for them? Some are MIA. Some are prisoners of war. One who is held captive by the enemy during uh, an armed conflict, they've been held captive. They've lost. There's soldiers today, especially in uh, the, the Christian soldiers today, they face an intense battle. Many times the enemy surrounds them, overpowers them, and they are taken captive. They're held as prisoners of war. Let me say this this morning. I, I, I believe we're facing a generation uh, that desperately wants the moving of God, desperately wants the power of God, desperately wants to see God do great things, uh, but they are prisoners of war. Let me tell you how I know when, you, when you're a prisoner of war, when your spiritual life uh, becomes so, so uh, uh, hurtful to you. In other words, when you come to church and there's no excitement in your bones, uh, when you come to the house of God uh, and, and boy you can't find uh, no joy and you can't find no peace uh, and you can't find no help uh, and you can't find uh, what you're looking for it's usually because the enemy has come around you and he's prisoned you in something uh, but I'm glad I know the one that can break those prison walls this morning some are prisoners of war they've been wounded They've been captured. They may be hurting. Some are even dying. But what I want to say this morning is this church, it is our responsibility as the people of God to do all we can do to retrieve them, to bring them to restoration, to full spiritual health, and then return them to the battlefield. Not only... Should we desire to see them restored? We also need them on the battlefield fighting with us. Inactive church members are not the enemy. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. These men and women are more than just fellow soldiers. Let us not forget uh, that they are family and we will never succeed uh, in retrieving our fallen brothers and sisters uh, just by negotiating with the enemy. So what do we do this morning? How do we help those that have fallen? I believe we find everything we need right here in Genesis chapter 14. Look at how Abraham responds to the account in his and Lot's life. So this morning I'm preaching, no soldier should be left behind. <clears throat> Let me recap with us this morning before we left off last week in case you wasn't here. Last week we saw in Genesis 13, we saw some things take place that had not happened before in Abraham and Lot's life. Abraham, since Lot's father passed away, has taken him. As a surrogate father, he has taken care of him. He has went everywhere Abraham has went. He's followed Abraham as Abraham has followed God. When, whenever Abraham finally got his stuff together and he stepped out in faith and he began to walk with, with God, God showing him where to go, there was Lot. We also found out that Lot was there in Egypt when Abraham, when Abraham messed up, Lot was with him. We find that Lot is actually following Abraham and he's doing a great job at it because wherever Abraham goes, he, Lot's there with him. When Abraham prospers, Lot prospers. When Abraham messes up, Lot messes up. 
So we found in chapter 13 that they had so much livestock, they had got together that they could not feed them all. So there was this argument that started taking place, this conflict that started taking place between the herdsmen. And what we realized was that Abraham, he chose Lot. He chose a relationship with Lot. And boy, he gave Lot the very choice of all the land. He said, Lot, whatever you want. He says, I trust God that God's going to provide for me no matter what my circumstance is. If I take the very worst of the land, it does not matter. I believe that God can still bless me. I believe that God's going to provide for me. I believe God's going to take care of me because God has given me a promise the day I stepped out and began to follow him, there was a promise waiting for me. Can I speak to you this morning? The day you stepped out and started following him, there was a promise for you. Now, if you're not following him, you're under the curse. What is the curse, preacher? It's the curse of sin. You're up under that thing and there's nothing you can do. You can't pay your way out. You can't work your way out. You can't do anything but look toward a cross of Calvary and allow Jesus' blood to cleanse you and make you righteous. So, Abram said, you choose what you want, Lot. I'll take the right if you choose the left. I'll take the left if you choose the right, Lot, whatever you want. We also found that Lot's decision was for the world. He looked at the very best of the best of the best and said, I want this land. But what we find is he moved toward Sodom. His decision that he made there is that he pitched his tent toward this place and the Bible told us there that it was a wicked land. But he pitched his tent toward Sodom. That's one of the major problems of our fallen comrades this morning. They look in a certain direction that has been enticing and they have begun to walk that way. Now, they have found themselves away from the Lord. They found themselves living in a wicked place, just like Lot did. Understand me this morning, Lot had no intentions of going to Sodom and Gomorrah. He had no intentions of it. But it all started when he began to pitch his tent toward it. And it didn't take long. That Lot moves into Sodom. When we get to chapter 14, Lot has now moved in. Preacher, what are you trying to say? I say, if you pitch your tent and you look in that direction, it won't be long till you move in. And that's what Lot did. Sometime after Lot moved in, he took his family, he took his servants, he took his livestock, he took everything that he had gotten and he went into this city. Several kings joined together and fought against other kings in the region. That's when we get in Genesis 1 through 9. What happens here, preacher? Well, I'm going to catch you up because I don't got time to read it all. So let me just tell you. As we begin in that, this chapter, there is a tax battle. You see, there was a king that normally collected taxes and this guy decided that he was no longer going to pay taxes. He was no longer going to give the king any of his goods. So several kings, uh, this uh, began to make a, a terrible battle that takes place. You can read this all in uh, one through nine. All these crazy names, I'm not even going to attempt it. But as a result of the battle, those who were in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were plundered. When they journeyed back to their homeland, they took the spoils of the war. In verse 12, we find that Lot was captured as well. Understand what has taken place. Lot was with Abram. Everything was okay. Strife broke out. They separated. Lot chose the area that looked the best, but he pitched his tent toward evil. He pitched his tent toward evil. It did not look like evil. And it never does. 
Sin never looks like it's sin. If we knew what it looked like, then we probably wouldn't go there. But it didn't look like sin. It looked like uh, rainbows and butterflies. Lot moves in. Tax war breaks out. Lot and his family are captured. Verse number 12. They also took Lot's They took Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and they departed. Now, look what happens in verse number 13. Then one who escaped. They came and told Abram the Hebrew for he dwelt by the terminal trees of Mirah. For uh, Amorite, brother of Esau, brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. So let me tell you what happens here. One person escapes. He gets out of the bondage. He gets out. The first thing that he does is run back to Abram. Can I say this? I know I'm jumping a lot this morning. I'm trying to, I got a lot I want to get to. But let me say this. When you remain faithful in Christ... When that one finally gets away, he'll run to you. When, when that one gets, when that, all it takes is for one to break loose. And when one break, they're looking for somebody that will take a stand on the things of God. Abram was that one. He run back to Abram. He tells Abram what's happened to Lot. And now we arrive at the heart of the message where I wanted to get us to. When Abraham heard what happened, he responds. He did not sit back and say, that's what they get for going to the wicked land of Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't sit back and say, well, they must just be backslidden on God. He didn't sit back and say, you know what? He shouldn't have left me with the driest, dirtiest land of all. He shouldn't have took what's best for him and left me with nothing. He should have been more generous to me. He shouldn't have yelled at me. He shouldn't have talked about me. He shouldn't have said this. He shouldn't have said that. He did not do that. The first thing he does when he hears uh, that Lot is in trouble is he responds. What does he do, preacher? I'm glad you asked. I wanted to tell you. Verse number 14 tells us that when Abraham heard his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. He gathered everything that he had. Every person that was at his disposal, every person that was willing to rise up and go to battle, whatever was necessary he, to, to recover the imprisoned family. In the, next new, in the next few verses, we'll see how he responds, what he does. And I want us to know that it is in these, in these texts that I believe that we find some helpful need for our brothers, for our sisters, for our fallen comrades and war as well. So number one, let's begin with this. The time for action is now. Look at verse 14 with me. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants. We find in verse 13 that they came, one had escaped, tells Abraham what has happened. Abraham did not delay. This was not a time for procrastination. He gathered his men. He gathered his uh, soldiers. He gave them all the equipment that they needed. And he said, it's time for us to go and get what the enemy has taken from us. Uh, Folks, uh, there is no 
shortage of fallen and captured soldiers in God's army. They are our brothers. They are our sisters. They are our parents. They are our spouses. They are our children. They are our friends. And I want you to know that many are in the hands of the enemy this morning. Many are facing great danger this morning. The fact is, is that they have been imprisoned. They've been taken hostage. The enemy has lured them in. He holds them in bonds. He holds them in chains. And he's torturing them as we speak today. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, today I'm going to be a drug addict. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to lose everything I've ever had. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to get locked up in a penitentiary. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to make the worst decision of my life. Nobody does that. But understand, the enemy has done that. And it's our brothers, our sisters, and our children. The time is now. The time is now. It's not time to procrastinate. It's not time to say, I'll do it tomorrow. It's not time to say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I've invited them to church. It's not time to say I'm not going back. It's not time to say I'm never going to forgive them. It's not time to say that I've already been there twice. I've been there three times. I've visited. I've called. It's not time to say I'm not going to do it no more. The time is now to rise up with everything that we've got and go back and take what the enemy has taken from you and I. That one went back and told Abram, Abram, Lot's been taken captive. Lot has been put in the bonds of prison. Lot may be put to death. Abraham responded. He took action. Church, God has spoke this into my spirit all week. That it's time for you and I to take action. It's time for you and I to take action. There's too many of them that we've seen walk away. There's too many of them that we've seen slip out the door. There's too many of them that we've seen. And I'm one of t- I can't get this out of my mind. And that it is your kids. And it's, and it's my kids. And, and it's my family. And, and it's your family. And it's all the people that we love. And we sing songs like, uh, uh, when the roll's caught up yonder, I'll be there. And we sing songs like the sweet by and by. And we sing songs like I'll fly away. But can I tell you this morning, unless somebody goes and gets them, unless somebody goes and retrieves them, they're not going to fly away. They're going to go to a place called hell. And you may fly away, but you're not going to fly with them because they're in sin. They've not been saved. They're separated. Unless somebody goes and gets them, who's going to be the one to go get them? Who's going to be the one? It says, I'm not going to let them die and go to hell. I'm not going to let them go. Abram could have said, Lot caused me a lot of problems. I'm just done with him. You see, some of us have done that this morning. I'm guilty. I've got a name running across my name in my mind right now. It's in my family. And I can't be around them more than five minutes and we're fussing and fighting. But you know what? He's lost as a ball in high weeds. I need to put my big boy britches on and quit being so arrogant and go and meet with him. I need to be the one that sets the example. I need to be the one that overlooks some of the stuff that he does in order to get him to Jesus. We've got fallen brothers and sisters this morning, church. The time is now to take action. The time is now. I don't think we realize this. I don't think we realize this morning just how bad hell is going to be.
I, I, I think for some of us, we have mentally blocked out how bad hell's going to be. We've mentally blocked out the fact that they're going to die and go to hell if somebody doesn't get Jesus to them. I think we've mentally blocked that out. But understand me this morning. If you're going to, if hell's a, if, if heaven's a reality, hell's a reality. You can't have one without the other. You can't have it your way. This is not a Burger King religion. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to reach them. I wish to God we'd just fall in love with lost people. You see, this morning my heart breaks and, and God, God has just burnt this into my heart. My heart breaks this morning because we, uh, we, we, we so easily become so enthused about Christian people that we forget that there's lost people that are going to die. That we cater to everything that the, that, that the saints want. That we forget that there's lost people. Can I tell you, lost people are not going to dart the doors of a church that they think is going to uh, uh, judge them and, and and, and, and come down on them, but they need the gospel. So how do you spread that equally? Well, this is what you got to do. You've got to love them. You've got to remember that they're lost, but you've got to be willing to go and get them and do what you have to do to get them in, to get them to the gospel. Hey, they, they don't got to get saved at the church. They can get saved in their backyard. They can get saved at their dinner table. They can get saved at the restaurant. They can get saved in the parking lot. It does not matter, but it does matter that you and I go to where they're at. Abraham didn't waste no time when he heard that Lot was held captive. He went straight there. He went straight to him. Now I'm not going to ask you. I don't want you to. I don't want to. But I'm going to. But this is what I want you to internalize this morning. Who is the one that you know, that you know, that you know is held in the bonds of Satan's hand today? Who is the one that you know that used to sit right here? They used to hold their hands up toward heaven and they used to worship. And they used to pray. And they used to serve God. And they were one. But all of a sudden the enemy come in and took everything they had and they're out God knows where to. Who's that one? Who's that one you need to go to? Last time God laid this on my message, and I'm going I'm to call her out. Last time God laid a message like this on my heart, I preached it. We had one that left, went and won the man to the Lord, and he died in the next few days, weeks. I can't remember how long it was, but I know this. They left the service that night. They went to his house. They told him about Jesus. He accepted him, and I preached the funeral not long later. Why? Because somebody went to where he was at. Somebody got up and went. Who's the one? The time is now. The time is now. Number two this morning, I want you to consider this. As soldiers, we must prepare ourselves. Verse number 14, it says that He armed them. He armed them. 318 trained servants. Abraham gathered a group of men together. We're told 318 of them to be exact. There is something special about these men that Abram had. The Bible calls them trained. They were ready to go. He armed his servants. Here in the U.S. we have groups that we consider the elite. They're the Navy SEALs. They're the Rangers, the Green Berets. They're, they're the elites. They're the best of the best, if you will. These soldiers are highly trained to perform on high-risk missions. As Christian soldiers this morning, 
I want you to know that we must be trained and ready to respond at any notice. We have to have the knowledge to understand that the enemy we face, he is not going to play fair. We must be familiar with the sound of the commander's voice. We must have our weapons ready. We must have our defensive armor at the door. We must have the knowledge. We must have the ability to properly use everything that God has given us. Why? Because we are always on the attack from the enemy. We're always awaiting because the Bible tells us to be sober and vigilant uh, because the adversary, our devil, he's like a roaring lion. He's walking and seeking whom he may devour. We've got to be ready. Notice Abraham's men were ready to go when Abraham called them. They were ready. Folks, These are our fellow soldiers who have been wounded and they've been captured on the battlefield. We don't have time to spare. Every two seconds, somebody dies. Every two seconds. Here in America, somebody dies. Every two seconds. We've been here roughly, I don't know, 30 minutes. It's a lot of deaths that have taken place. Here in America somewhere. We've got to be prepared. The enemy's prepared. The enemy was prepared... When a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend introduced pornography to your 13-year-old son, the enemy was prepared. He was prepared. The enemy was prepared when a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of your daughter took that first puff of that marijuana cigarette. The enemy was prepared. The enemy was prepared when a friend of a friend of a friend that introduced them to uh, 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 marijuana now has introduced them to cocaine. The enemy was prepared. The enemy was prepared when they went from cocaine to the worst possible thing in the world, meth. The enemy was prepared. Where was the church at? Was we prepared? Was we prepared? Oh, we was prepared to hit them over the head with our Bibles and we was prepared to to tell them how low down and dirty they were and we was prepared to preach to them and and to holler at them and tell them, hey, we we was prepared to do all of that. But was we prepared to go and get them? Was we prepared to go and love on them? We was prepared to talk about them. Was we, oh my God. The enemy was prepared when, when boy, when she was introduced to homosexuality, or he was introduced to homosexuality, the enemy was prepared. Understand me this morning, the enemy's been prepared. He's been prepared. He's been prepared. Are we prepared? Abram went to this 318 trained men and he said, we got to go and get Lot. You know what I love about that? Just just that one text. Tell you what I love. You don't find not one of the 318 complaining. You will never read that. In In this text anyway, you'll read it later. You'll hear some mumbling later. But from right here, you won't hear them fussing and complaining. They went to where he is at. Are you spending time training for warfare this morning? 
Are you spending time training for it? If not, you may find yourself captured. You may find yourself imprisoned. Another factor that I want us to comprehend is this. Number three. Devotion to the mission is utmost importance. It said they pursued them unto Dan. These men had a mission in mind. You know why he tells us unto Dan? Good, I want to tell you. Because Dan was not their next door neighbor. Even though your next door neighbor and my next door neighbor are important to God, just don't, get, don't take this out of context. But what it's telling us is this. They had a mission. They had one mission that was to rescue the prisoner. And it didn't matter how far they had to go. They didn't sit around and talk about how they could do it. They didn't sit around and talk about if they were going to do it. They didn't sit around and talk about when they were going to do it. They didn't start out to, to, to get him and then turn their back because the enemy forces were too heavy. They didn't start out to get Lot and decide that it was going to cost them too much. They didn't start out to, to get Lot and decide, well, I'm tired and I'm tired of fighting. They went as far as Dan. They were steadfast on their mission. They fought with all that they had until they reached their goal. Folks, we know what the mission is this morning. We know where they are and we know what's being done to them. We don't need to talk about it. Oh, What we need to do is get up and go get our fallen brethren. What we need to do is get up and go as far as we have to go. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying if he's in a crack house today, Somebody needs to go get him out. If if she's in a meth house today, somebody needs to go get her out. Hey, wherever they're at, somebody needs to go and break them out. And it don't have to be drugs, and it doesn't have to be none of that. It can be as simple as this. They could be sitting high somewhere, smiling and thinking everything's all right. They may have plenty of money. They may have uh, plenty of good things in their life. They just may be lost and on their way to hell without Jesus. Uh, Somebody needs to go to them and quit uh, patting them and quit coddling them and tell them, Hey, hell's real. Heaven's real. Make your decision. what needs to be done he prepared he trained he armed 318 men and they went as far as Dan how many times do we look at someone who is backslidden and put them down? We talk about them like they're the enemy. Many of them, many of them are on the battlefield. Many of them have been taken off the battlefield because they have been abandoned on the battlefield. They've been left there by themselves. They were captured and now they're prisoners because nobody went to get them. You see, this morning, the surreal of this is this. Some are just prisoners of lust. And they didn't have a man of God nor a woman of God to tell them they need to watch out because we was afraid of offending them. Or we might not even cared. We knew what they were looking at. We knew what they were doing. 
but we just didn't go to them and say, you better watch out. Because the devil is shaking that in front of you for a reason. He's luring you for a reason. And some are prisoners of that. They've been trapped by it. The enemy has taken them in. Some are prisoners of addiction. Some are prisoners of greed. Some are prisoners of discouragement. They're just so discouraged right now. They're in a phase in their life where they're just discouraged and they need somebody to encourage them. I guarantee you this, I always don't have the... There's been many times, many people I've told, I don't know what to say right now, but this is what I want to say to you. I just want to encourage you the best that I know how. Jesus loves you. Sometimes that's all you can do. Some are prisoners of depression. Some are prisoners of abuse. And there's so many other issues that the enemy can and will use against them. We've got to grasp the fact this morning that it is our duty to reach out to them. They're not going to reach out to us. It's our duty to reach them with the gospel of a transformational God named Jesus. Romans 15 and 1, we're told that when they are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and, and not to please ourselves. We that are strong. Galatians 6 and 1 tells us, brethren, if, we, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Simply put, we must see the need, meet the need. Who should be ready to act and devote to the mission? Every single one of us. We need to be ready for the mission. Number four, I'm hurrying. I don't want to bore you to death. We've got to work together. We've got to work together. Look at verse number 15. He divided his forces against them by night. And his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Habar, which is north of Damascus. We must work together. Abraham divided his men. He divided uh, the soldiers and attacked the enemy during the night. The Bible tells us the enemy fled, but they continued to pursue them until they reached the town north of Damascus. In verse 13, someone came and told Abraham that Lot had been captured. But a lot's transpired since then. I like to think that this man who came and informed Abraham probably saddled up and went to battle with him. But I'm not sure. It doesn't tell me. You would think that someone who cared enough to escape and try to help a prisoner would be willing to go to war for the prisoners. You would think that unless you have uh, uh, spent time in church... There's never a shortage of people who notice the things that need to be done. There's never a shortage of people that know uh, that hell is real. There's never a shortage of people that know Satan's got somebody grasped in chains. But yet, many are not reacting as a warrior of Christ many are setting back and allowing the enemy to have his way. There is power in numbers. Abraham had 318, 319, if the one who came told uh, went with them. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say we'll get more done if we do it together than we will by ourselves. We will cover more ground together 
than we will if we just try to do it all on our own. I'm saying we got to lock up. We got to divide the land and we've got to conquer. Because somebody's salvation depends on it this morning. Somebody's salvation depends on a soldier of Christ working with other soldiers of Christ and, and getting to where they're at. He feed, <clears throat> the book Ecclesiastes says this, 4-9, it says two were better than one because they've got a, a good reward for their labor. One of the great benefits of the early church is that they were together and in one accord. If we're, if we're going to have an impact, we're going to have to successfully rescue our fellow soldiers and we're going to have to work together. No soldier should be left behind. No soldier. We've got to work together. Lastly, this morning, I'm done. Victory is possible. Look at verse 16. It's where I started at. So he brought back all of the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. Now, that latter part is put in there for a reason. Let me tell you why it's put in there for a reason. (laughs) Most of the time, if you'll break one out, you'll break another out with it. Lot was bound up in that thing. But when they went in and took Lot out, the others realized freedom looks a whole lot better than being a prisoner in here. I think I'll go too. Victory is possible. Victory is possible. It's possible to win this war. I've read the back of the book. Abraham cared enough to act because the men were trained, because they were ready to go, because they went forward with passion. The enemy fled, the goods were restored, Lot was rescued, and other people were delivered too. Do you know... If you win a father and a husband to the Lord, over 90% of the times, his family will come. That's why, men, it's so important that you be leaders in your home. I know it was going to get quiet on that, but that's why it's so important. Because when a man gets his heart right with God, over 90% of the time, the whole family gets in church. You want you <sighs> When we take these steps that are necessary to retrieve those that have fallen in the faith we'll see some results. We may see our enemy flee. We may recover lost ground. We may rescue our brothers and sisters who've been wounded, captured in prison. But do you see, what what do I see in this text this morning? More was at stake than just Lot. More than Lot was at stake. Other lives were at stake. Let me close with this. There was a man in a certain church whose name was Brother Smith. Brother Smith was saved and he was radically changed over 15 years ago. 
Brother Smith is a real person, by the way. I will not call his name for obvious reasons. After he was saved, he started bringing his whole family to church. Several months later, his wife was saved. The Smiths had five children. Three boys, two girls. Over the years, uh, as a result of, of uh, Awana, for one thing, and, and, and Sunday school, and nursery, and all of these things that the church were doing to reach, in order to reach those youngins. All five of the children came to faith. Brother Smith's parents and his in-laws began attending the church. Brother Smith's parents were radically transformed. Brother Smith grew spiritually. He, He became very active in his church. Then as a result of the recent financial recession... It hit Brother Smith's household. Brother Smith began working overtime and every Saturday was spent at work. As a result of working on Saturdays, the family began to miss church every now and again on Sunday. Then dad began to work on Sunday periodically. The family still came to church, but it wasn't regular as it was before. It was when I can make it. As time went by, they began to miss more and more and more. Eventually, Mr. and Mrs. Smith were out of church altogether. Their children were not yet old enough to drive. So guess what happened to them? They were out of church. The church could not have no bus ministry, nothing like that, because they had no one to do it. So guess what happened? The children didn't come to church. The nieces and the nephews lost their rides as well because Mr. and Mrs. Smith not only took their children, but they took their brothers and their sister's children. It was important for them to be in church. Then the grandparents began to miss a service in order to spend time with the children because they once went to church together. But now, not so much. When it was all said and done, the church that they attended had... 14 empty seats that were once active members. As a result, they lost a piano player. As a result, they lost an usher. As a result, they lost two Sunday school teachers. As a result, they lost, uh, they lost ties. As a result, they lost eight children in children's church. Immediately, the people in the church noticed their absence. They began to discuss the strategy strategy at lunch after services. Some of them even told the preacher that he should go and visit them. Others said, what a shame that a man would allow money to take place over his family. Some said uh, even if Mr. and Mrs. Smith weren't coming, weren't going to come, those grandparents, they, they ought to be here. Some even said if the grandparents wasn't going to be here, they ought to at least bring their kids. They, they ought to love their kids enough to bring them to church. If they're not going to be here, they ought to bring them and drop them off. There was no shortage of people who knew the answer and criticized the Smith family for their condition. But there was a couple of two sweet old ladies in the church. 
And they were very concerned about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They made it a point that they were going to pray for the Smiths. Every day, they made it a point that they were going to write letters to. Now, they didn't call them. They, 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 they were going to write letters to them. Periodically, they would get a phone call. Periodically, they would send a text. But they were going to handwrite them letters. Expressing how concerned they were. They went to the Smith's home. They sat at the Smith's kitchen table with tear-filled eyes as they would share with them their burden for their spiritual condition. Several, several, several months went by, even a year. Periodically, these two sweet saints of God would stop by the Smith's. One evening, Brother Smith was touched by their concern for his soul. Conviction swept over him by the way of the Holy Spirit. He began to weep at the kitchen table. He and his wife prayed right there at the kitchen table. He then rededicated his life and immediately resolved that he was going to take his family back to church. Even more, he was going to be a spiritual leader in his household. The rest of the family followed. And God did an amazing work in that family. Now the Mr. and Mrs. Smith is not the center focus of that story. The center focus is the two little old Christian women. Who had an absolute burden for Mr. and Mrs. Smith and their family. They realized that action had to be taken. And they were very prepared for the battle. They were devoted to the mission. They were willing to work together to see the mission accomplished. Once again, you look around you this morning. You look to the right, you look to the left, you look to the front, you look behind you. Those empty spots, they represent a much deeper problem. The people who should be in those seats are getting further and further and further and further away from God. They're getting further and further away. The longer they stay out, the harder it is to get them back in. Some are hurting. Some are wounded. Some are imprisoned. And there's some that's in grave danger today. And friend, one day, it could very well be me or you. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there in your life. You know what it's like to be hurt, to be and get out. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to be trapped in bondage of sin. You know what it's like. And even though you are in the pew today, many of you are sitting where you're sitting because somebody responded. Somebody got up and went to where he is at. Somebody trained and armed the men to go to where you was at. Somebody fought the war for you. Our brothers and sisters are hurting. Are you willing to leave them behind? 
let me say this. Abraham went to where Lot was at and he didn't give up. I want to encourage you, Mama. And I want to encourage you, Daddy. I want to encourage you, Grandma and Grandpa, brother and sister, aunt and uncle, cousin. I want to encourage you. Don't give up on them. You may be the only one that's between heaven and hell. You may be the only one there. And if you give up on them, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? You stand.